I can't believe how many trailers came out this week. Oh. First off. Yeah, what happened? Was there like a games show or a thing or a... What was on? What happened? Yeah, it was the Game Award by the Jeff Keighley guy. Uh, you know, they, they did awards that nobody gives a shit about. But oh, it... are we supposed to watch those now? Do those come with trailers and stuff now? Yeah, there's loads of trailers. He has great connections, clearly, in the industry and stuff. But uh, it's a Games Awards show, so watching it is probably one of the worst life decisions you can make. Like, no matter what you're doing in your life, you can still go further down. If you yeah. watch the Game Award show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of the what you're watching equivalent of the President's McDonald's order. Have you heard about the President's McDonald's order? No. You see, I don't know how much truth there is in it because I haven't sourced the source of this. But it's going round, so I'll say it anyway. Apparently, the um, President's uh, regular McDonald's, you know, the implication being that he has this a lot. His McDonald's order is two Big Macs. Now, I'm not. I'm not perfect in my eating habits, but I'm very proud to say that once I've had one Big Mac, I think a second Big Mac would be too much food, right? At that point, and I know before I sit down to one Big Mac that that's as much as I'll need. I'll have some chips, but I probably wouldn't need some chips. A Big Mac is plenty of food from McDonald's. (laughs) And I heard that it it takes something like two hours of exercise to, to... you know, dial back the badness you do to yourself um, by eating one Big Mac. The president orders every time two Big Macs and two um, fillet of fish or something like that. So here is a man who knows that not only is a Big Mac not going to be enough food, but two Big Macs isn't going to be enough food. And he's going to need two more like burger style things from McDonald's, not chips, not not even, you know, some chicken strips to go on the side or nuggets or something. No. Four burgers, essentially. It, that's a lot. Well, you can't tweet on an empty stomach. You can. <laughs> How many Buddhist monks uh, do you see tweeting? That's true. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. you're right, actually, yeah. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That, that, that adds up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, the Game Awards was on. Yeah, and I was I'm surprised like by how much crap was announced. But uh, anyway, so th- there was uh, the new um, uh, Hideo Kojima game, Death Stranding. Now, I watched the trailer for that, and I found it very difficult to care about. Yeah, well, it's it's deliberately obtuse because I guess the game is uh, far away. So he's just messing with the audience at this point. It's, it's yeah, it's it's not time to have a trailer, um, and so they don't. I don't think they know what the game is yet. So instead, essentially, what I watched was like an sort of something. Okay, this is the exact thought that I was having last night. Right when my wife Abby graduated from college and she did an uh, animation and, and illustration course, and the final piece of a lot of the of the people was an, an animation piece. And we I can't even remember now what Abby did, but I feel like she must have done something because we found ourselves in the the room where you watch Oh no, I can't remember what she did. So we must have been there for a friend. Anyway, we watched the reel of everybody's animation pieces um because our friend wanted to show us his. And we'd seen it, but he wanted he just wanted us to see it on the screen. Um 
and they were all so so boring because they were um they were art pieces so they were expressing they were kids t- tina you know all all power to them because i love the fact that they'd been through the the education system and were making this thing but let's face it they didn't have a lot of very nuanced sort of understanding of of their emotions as it was yeah. they were then trying to express something in animation enough to pass an animation course and so it was all you know abstract images there was one where they you know slit their wrists on camera i hope they didn't do it for real i don't know um things like that and this reminded me of that because it's an art piece there's just sort of weird stuff happening but the difference that interested me is that because it's got a name on it hideo kojima there's no other artist that we would watch something like this from because this it kept us on the hook because we might find out about a product that we one day might want to purchase. So it's uh, frankly no different from like in the 80s and early 90s, those adverts for cars that were like, you know, a world on fire and and silk blossoming in the breeze and things. Um, So it was, yeah, it was just sort of disjointed, informationless imagery. But we all went, ooh, and we all watched it all the way through because we might find out something about a game. And we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, it's more of a technical exercise. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's uh, using the same engine as Horizon Zero Dawn, and it's going to be a third-person open-world action stuff game. Okay. So now you know what the antagonists are. B- big, giant, invisible men. I don't know how you can stealth around them. Yeah, I, g- I guess you have the little light that uh, it seemed to zoom in automatically on where their footsteps would land. So you'll use that uh, to sneak around them, I guess. And the uh, baby in a jar that's also inside his body, maybe. <laughs> okay. So that was the that was the moment really worth talking about. Um, because that's the moment that made us laugh out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the moment we actually had a, rela- a, a reaction to. Um, sorry, I'm eating my breakfast because I'm late this morning. Because... Priority one is getting Abby out of the door because she has to work on Saturdays. So, our fella, Redus, falls down. The camera zooms in on his face. He opens his mouth at the last minute. The camera goes in his mouth. There's quite realistic, grotesque footage of the camera going down like his gullet. And then you see a baby sucking its thumb emerge somewhere inside his, I don't know, stomach, I guess? Like, wherever. Like, it seems to be just halfway down the pipe. The baby looks at you with its thumb in its mouth and dramatically pops the thumb out of its mouth with like a big, like a big uncorking noise. <laughs> and then, and then we go back out of his mouth again. It's so funny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that's, I did react to that part of the trailer. The rest of it, I completely flatlined, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt about pretty much all the trailers because all of them are of games that come out. At least like a year from now, yeah. And that's why it's like, well, I can, who can get invested in this now? Like, yes, what's the a, point? Yeah, I also. What was the other one I saw? I saw a trailer for oh, uh, for Metro. Yeah. Um, and again, there that that was it. Basically, they've learned a language of game trailers where we are told nothing and we're shown nothing, but we're made to recognize that a game is happening. Yep. So like in in the in the metro one, it's all it's a lot of like 
um, there's no one who can help us. Um, and then you see some monster zombie things, and then it's like, we're all in a bad situation. Poof, name of game. Yeah, the, basically the only stuff that I could get from that trailer was that, okay, you're still playing the same character as in the last two Metro games. Right. This is apparently based on the book Metro 2035, whereas the first game, Metro 2033, was based on the book Metro 2033, and then Metro Last Light was based on Metro 2034, and now this third game is based on a third book. That's quite interesting, actually. Yeah. So this is, uh, that's because, you know, we've talked a lot endlessly about the concept of book adaptation into game in The Witcher 3. This is the first time I think I've heard of, of like a series of books being adapted into a series of games 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. Uh, that is interesting. I didn't even know there were like a second and third book. <laughs> well, I, you, you enjoyed the Metro games, right? I think you should read them. Yeah. I mean, read friend... them and then find out how close the final game is. If a friend of mine hasn't even played the games, but he's read the first book. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not weird. It's, a, it's like a successful book. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So I'm looking forward to it because I, la- I like the last two games. and But here, again, there's, even as a fan of the games, there's nothing here for me to get excited about apart from, yep, this studio still exists and a game is in development that will come out in the future. <laughs> mm. That's how I felt about the From Software announcement where they did yeah. announce the name of a game. It was a 29-second trailer with... About, I don't know, 15 seconds of, like, black space in that. So there's maybe three seconds of a thing being stretched. Uh, <laughs> and th- th- visually, it could be any franchise. And- yeah, yeah, the, the resulting conversation. And I think the purpose of the, of the trailer is to generate argument about what, whether it's Bloodborne 2 or not. And from what I'm hearing, it's Bloodborne 2. Well, it could be Shadow Tower, their game uh, from 98, because it says uh, uh, Shadow dies twice or whatever at the end. Or it could be Tenshu, because apparently someone noticed something uh, East Asian about the visual design there. So basically, it could be any franchise, because people are saying that it's definitely three of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So probably something completely new. So that that's that was a wonderful like non-trailer. <laughs> this, is, this is why I'm I'm starting to get oh I'm starting to get so sick of the whole circus they put us through. If we're supposed to be nerds, you know, they'll get us interested in a thing by giving us say a good film or a good game, and then we're supposed to be interested in everything else they ever do. And it's like, well, yeah, but give me something good. The do you remember a few weeks ago? I was oh it, it might have been just a week ago now. I'm not sure when it was, but. I was ever so annoyed when um, there was a trailer for the next Avengers, and I was already annoyed. I didn't want to. Watch, I didn't care. I didn't watch. I didn't want to watch a trailer for the next Avengers, but I put it on anyway, and it was a trailer for the fact that there was going to be a trailer for the next Avengers the following day, and this trailer was like YouTubers or something. It was someone going like, "Oh, it's brilliant! I can't believe what I've just seen. It's absolutely great! What a great trailer!" And then now and then there'd be a shot of, like, the Hulk. And you're like, well, obviously I know the Hulk is in it. Is that... Couldn't even tell if the shots I was being shown were from a previous film or not. Because that's the level... That's where nerds are now. That they can see a shot of the Hulk turning round to face the camera. And know whether or not it's from, a, like, one they've already seen. 
and be excited that it isn't. And then, <laughs> and then um, the trailer came out the next day, and it was just like, oh, Iron Man will be in this, and there'll be some men in suits. There, there you go. <laughs> oh, all your favorite characters from Avengers are in the next Avengers film. Yeah. Well, that's a yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's the information, and like it. Uh, and people were gleaning other stuff from it. They were like, oh, you can see that at some point someone pins someone down. Like, oh, yeah, who cares? Who cares about that? That doesn't tell you anything. That doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. And, oh, there's a shot of Iron Man looking sad. So maybe at some point a character may die or may not die. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care. Do not care. And if they do die, I don't care. It's Marvel. Superman died. He's already back yeah. in, like, two critically panned films. Mm. Well, oh, no, one critically panned. He died at the end of one and is alive for the other one. Yeah, I'm very glad I didn't watch Justice League. Yeah, don't watch. Don't watch Justice Don't yeah. watch any of them. Don't watch any of them. It's all stupid. Yeah. Why, why <laughs> I'm should... going to watch Mar- I'm going to watch Infinity Wars. Of course I am. But only because I don't know. Yeah, I'm not watching it in the theater. Yeah, no, I don't think... Uh, will I? No, maybe. I don't know. I mean, isn't it by the uh, Isn't it by the good team? Isn't it by the Winter Soldier lot? Yeah. Yeah, well, that was good, so perhaps I will watch it. Yeah, but it still feels like... Uh... <laughs> Basically, as we... As we... As we go further into this scenario where, like, m- most people's spending money is falling and falling and falling and we can't afford anything anymore it's just becoming increasingly clear how meaningless a lot of this stuff we're being sold is like it it really only provided an afternoon's entertainment when it was at its height yep (laughs) i mean when i was writing notes and remembering what happened last week i kind of remembered very late that oh yeah i did finish titanfall 2 this week Ah. and that shows I mean, last week I complained that the story was really thin and didn't leave any impression. And this is the effect it has on finishing the game. Because, like, the last two levels of the game had probably the best spectacle I've ever seen in a first-person shooter. Where it's like, this is the kind of stuff they put in a pre-rendered trailer, but you actually get to play it in this. It's wonderfully structured and put together. and uh, But the story is like a nothing so when it was done, because there was only the spectacle, I completely forgot I'd played the game for like five days in a row. And after that, it's like, I can barely remember the spectacle. The story had nothing going on. There was nothing thematic. There was nothing. It said nothing. So it meant nothing. So I basically played nothing. It's as if nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, at least, at least you got through it quite fast. If it was yeah. me, that would be like six months of my life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a fairly short game, so... Anyway, speaking of nothing, this wasn't at the Game Awards, but the details have leaked about the next Tomb Raider game. Have they? Right. It's called Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Whoa, I bet you're going to be Tomb Raiding in it. Yeah. The most interesting, though, is... It's not made by the same developers anymore. Oh, uh, they, the, the like Crystal Dynamics made like the past five games, and instead this is made by the people who made Thief Four. Hmm. It's Idos Montreal. This is the studio that has two teams. 
One yeah. of them made Thief 4. The other team made Deus Ex, Human Revolution, and Mankind Divided. Okay. Thief 4, one of the most disappointing games I've ever played. Oh. Presumably, this will go better. <laughs> I mean, Thief 4, I have a, a negative review of Steam with like 178 upvotes. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it might not. I mean, it's it's weird how Tomb Raider is a legacy franchise, but is being passed around, is being treated <laughs> weirdly. You know, the second... I enjoyed the about half of it I played, but the second Tomb Raider reboot game was just nothing like as good as the first one. Yeah. And the original team is probably working on a Marvel game. Okay. Because the Deus Ex team... After the last game, they're now working on an Avengers game. Okay. So they're not making uh, Deus Ex games anymore. Because, hey, we got, a, we got a license to make Marvel games. So it makes sense that they'd force all their big, best uh, Western development studios to make movie license games from now on. <laughs> oh, it's all, it's all really stupid, isn't it? Yeah, so the B team there, the Thief 4 team, uh, it kind of makes sense that the game came out like 2014, and ever since then they've probably been working on this Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and they said that the game is going to be announced and released next year. So, okay. And I'm thinking, because it's a new studio... Wait a minute, it's going to be announced next year? It's been announced, that's why we know it exists. Yeah, well, they, they said that... They tweeted that. Oh, well, it's not. It's not. It's not announced yet. Even though we just announced it. <laughs> when you tweet, it's not announced. You've announced it. It, it, it. When you announce it, that's when you. That's when we find out it exists. That's what an announcement is. Yeah, but they, they gotta release the teaser trailer for the trailer, and then the trailer itself, and then another yeah, exactly. trailer. They don't have to. They could just release the game. Yeah. <laughs> release the game we were already it's not because it's not like you have to the reason for all this stuff teaser trailers and stuff okay i'll tell you a game that needed a teaser trailer horizon zero dawn there is a game where we needed to be excited about a new thing a new game a new world and and they were successful they brought out a teaser we all went oh that looks interesting and sure enough it was last guardian there's another one tomb raider everyone knows what it is the last two games are the teaser trailer for the new one yeah i mean it this is a new Tomb Raider being developed is about as surprising as a Final Fantasy game being developed. It's like, yep, oh, yeah. oh, you're making the 16th game in the series? Oh, exactly. what a they're, shock! Yeah, exactly. they, <laughs> to be fair, they have kind of made it feel like they're making a third one, but they're making a 16th one or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and there's a film coming out as well. Yep. Honestly, I, it's going to be a little bit... I always think it's a bit weird when there's two clashing versions of the same thing being teased almost like for different audiences so like you know when i don't know as well a big marvel movie's coming out right infinity wars coming out and meanwhile what's being advertised and teased in the comics is like just some completely different thing all the characters are different it's a different hulk a different captain america all of that none of which i mind but it's i always find it odd when they're trying to advertise two things at once that clash with each other like that and that's going to happen with Tomb Raider. We're going to have this game that isn't connected to the film and a film that isn't connected to the game. And I know we all understand it, but it just feels weird. Yeah. And again, this is the third Tomb Raider movie. Yep. Only third. <laughs> I would have thought fourth or something. No, they gave up after two in the <clears throat> early 2000s. <But> anyway. <laughs> but at least, see, at least there, 
you have a definitive reboot. Like, Tomb Raider, the reboot, the game, <laughs> was was a definitive reboot. And I'm surprised to hear you tell me that it was made by the same team who made the previous non-reboot Tomb Raider game. Yeah. yeah. Or at least, well, well, I don't know if it's the same exact people, well, but the same studio. Yeah, it was kind of a reboot, because they made... Uh, was five or six Tomb Raider games, the original team from the 90s, and then they, they made a PlayStation 2 game that was really ambitious, but it was a train wreck production and everything collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then this team took over. They made the um, Legacy of Kane games. Then they made like three or four of them. Uh, or was it five? <laughs> and then they made uh, the last couple of ones, and now they're gonna make uh, Marvel games. And uh, Okay. Uh, probably the most boring thing apart from superhero movies is superhero games. Oh, that's by far more boring. Yeah. Um, oh, except the Arkham games, and I am looking forward to this Spider-Man one. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but so it couldn't. It can be done, and they could be. It could be really good. It's just I have this big problem with superheroes, I guess. Um, which is, and, and I should extend this to games. It, do, it doesn't concern me in the films, but it concern, it does a bit. Which is, all right, let me go back to Source. I'm a kid, right? And what is on TV is like Garfield and, you know, I don't know, Smurfs, like Snorks. And all these things where the art and the power of cartoons is brought to bear on allowing any mad idea that someone can think of to be depicted on screen. And then next to all that, is Defenders of the Earth, which was uh, Flash Gordon and the... Um, who's the purple one? He had a film in the 90s. Um, not not something Panther. something Some sort of mystery world. Anyway, um, it was just guys. It was just men in costumes. So I was never interested in that one. And I found it really weird when I grew up and found out that people my age, like, who were, who were invested in nerd culture and geek culture loved Defenders of the Earth and thought it was a really, really good cartoon. And meanwhile, to me, it was the equivalent of the news. It was like the the thing that you wait for to finish because it just has men, grown-ups, in costumes. And that's what superheroes are. Like, the, the best artists, comic artists, in the world, asterisk, because, you know, there's some really great ones in Belgium and so on that, that I kind of prefer, but the, 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 the like, incredibly well-trained, brilliant artists are just drawing men. They could draw anything, and they're drawing men. And nothing nothing says this more than the fact that whenever, and this includes in the films, you have a giant threat from beyond the stars. Um, you have this huge alien force, this presence that's the biggest, baddest thing. All of the Marvel films have been leading up to this giant villain that's going to be the most powerful thing and he's from faraway galaxies, and he's this incredible, powerful alien. And he's a man! He's a bipedal man with all of the body parts that apes gave us. He, like, he's obviously evolved from, like, Earth apes. That is the level of imagination, these people, who have control of the world's highest special effects budgets. What they came up with was a purple man. Now, I know he's from the comics, but I extend this to the comics. Galactus, the world eater, is a man in a silly hat. Why? And I know, and the answer to why is because of the the, the kitsch world of Jack Kirby and and what that represents. But we're not—he's—we don't have him anymore. 
now, and so I guess what it sounds like I'm making here is an argument in favor of the bad Fantastic Four uh, sequels version of Galactus, which was essentially a storm. And you know what? I kind of am. I think as a concept, that is better than a big man that eats a planet. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't care about guys in hats. <laughs> and I just find it exhausting, the fact that they don't have clear arcs of beginning and ending. Like, if you compare it to, like, any manga or anime, apart from, like, the long-running, I don't know, One Piece or something, like, yeah. all... <laughs> Comics are allowed to have, like, an arc that ends and a clearly defined self-contained story that you you don't add anything and you, you know it's clear like the, the, something happens in the story to the characters you can get emotionally invested in it whereas with the superhero things it's like okay if you start where does it end oh never yeah, <laughs> def- definitely never it's yeah it's and now within that format a lot of good storytelling is done yeah. it's just uh, so much of it, so so much of the best storytelling. For example, there was a thing on Twitter this week celebrating, and quite reasonably so, a good two pages from the current issue of, um, I think it's called like Super Friends or something. It's a Batman and Superman um, comic, anyway. And the on these two pages, you have Batman talking to someone somewhere and Superman talking to someone somewhere, and it's two separate conversations, but they're both talking about each other. And defending each other. So Superman is defending Batman and Batman is defending Superman to someone who's like a little bit skeptical. And um, and it's so they're basically each of them is saying, no, I'm just this idiot. But he went through this. He had to do this. This is the reason why he's the real hero. And they're both talk, talking like that. So it's sweet. It's two friends talking to it like, you know, advertising each other to to people, and it, the two conversations mirror each other, and it's lovely. And that is apparently from a, a comic that's the sort of thing you would want. It's a well-written story. I assume it does have an arc, because it's because usually what they do in comics is they'll hire a particular writer, and that writer will have an arc in mind, and then when it's done, in comes the next one. The problem is that the next one does have to come in, and yes... That each writer in their arc can, and usually often does, make big sweeping changes to the canon. And the next one, it's 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 always just a waiting game before it's all put back again. Not necessarily by the next writer who might pick it up and run with it, but it's always it's some point it's always going to go back to status quo, no matter what. It always does, and it always feels like it won't, and it always does. And um, the pro, so this this Batman and Superman thing great couple of pages but what those pages do is just reinforce what the reader already wants to think about these two characters so it's not like a new thing now i'm not saying there's nothing new in the comic i haven't read any of the rest of it but those are the two pages people are getting excited about and it's because it's well written but it doesn't it's we want that that flatline status quo when we read superhero stuff, and it. So, for example, when someone dies in, if they do in Avengers: Infinity Wars, I'm gonna be annoyed about that because I don't want them to. But it doesn't matter, and it's it's a yeah. I, I think I think I'm just starting to come online to how much I've been dangling on media hooks my whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they're, they're all leaning too hard on, 
like the James Bond format where it's all yeah. very externally driven where it's like oh now big thing is threatening the city now big thing is threatening the world now there's a beam in the air and it's like nothing in this is like internally driven they're not being driven forward by like the character's internal uh, struggles instead it's very external like you have the internal yeah. bit like for the first half of the movie this is what annoys me about the marvel film format where it's like yeah you have half of a real movie and then the yeah. second half the finale is like oh now now we're doing superhero bullshit <laughs> the character yeah. is put on um, stasis and, and you know, from now on <laughs> part of that part of that is because um well i mean it's because people expect you know if we've got a big budget we have to have a big action scene but yeah part of it is because all of this stuff, including, you know, the big purple man and and his gauntlet with the stones on, all of this stuff is stuff that was in the comics. So they, they want to, like, here it is. Here's that bit. Here's the moment. You know, it's like how Star Wars fans have only just now, and it took an announcement from Disney that, like, we're literally never doing it, are only just now coming to terms with the fact that they're not going to get Admiral Thrawn in their films, who was a, a, a blue man from a, a trilogy of books that was written in the 90s or whatever, uh, 80s, whatever it was. Um, it's that. you you They're having to show these things, but they, the big beats of those stories are a big purple man shows up, the stones go in his gauntlet, now he's a god and they have to fight him. But it took decades for all of these things to happen, during which were all of the character study stuff that's missing from the films it's not completely missing from the films and the winter soldier team they're the team who like get it in the best so i'm you know i'm I'm hopeful that there'll be some of it but it's you know we're 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 focusing on the big battles and we're missing the point um but maybe you could say that that's how we're reacting to the films because the other stuff kind of is in there it's just those battles they kind of overwrite your memory of the film yeah so anyway we're at most moderately interested in seeing the film (laughs) i'm just what i want is for infinity ward infinity war to end like the evangelion tv series yeah yeah it's all abstract (laughs) yeah and everyone uh... everyone applauds iron man in the end in a half semi-circle Get uh, get Kojima in to direct the last twenty minutes of the film. Yeah, don't tell him the story of the rest of the film. No, <laughs> <laughs> just tell him the themes and go there. Just make something. Put a scary baby in somewhere. It'll be fine. Yeah, I I do know a film that I'm slightly more interested in seeing though, mm. and that is Alita Battle Angel. Alita colon Battle Angel. Uh, yeah. So that trailer came out. <laughs> It did. Do you know? And they, my my this is my position on that trailer. I'm actually fine with it. And I've go, I've not googled it. I've Twitter searched it, and I only found people who thought it looked absolutely awful, or or, or you know, like it like it's assumed that we all hate it. And I just didn't. Yeah, I'm mostly disappointed with it because it didn't look very nineties. It looked very <laughs> contemporary. <laughs> That's the uh, point. Yes, I mean, I think uh, Alita herself looked like a Pixar character transported into kind of a Marvel film because of the color scheme and the clothing and stuff. Yeah, it it looked 
very uh, modern in that way, in a negative way, because I feel like the Marvel films, the color scheme, the uh, how they light their scenes, it's very flat and boring. And this is how this looked. And the way she moves just looked like an animated film. It didn't... She's supposed yeah. to be like a real physical person in the world, but she doesn't look like it. <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, I'll give you that. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, um, she, she looked fine when she was, like, all alone, but then yeah. when you put her next to, like, real humans, it got weird. <laughs> yeah, and, and what's really gonna... They've deliberately hidden the part of the film that's the most important, which mm. is the combat. Yeah. Um, this is, I wouldn't normally say that, and I've just been going on about the Marvel films and saying the opposite, but the point of Battle Angel Alita is that the combat, like that's, well, it's not the point, but it's the most explored aspect, as it were, throughout, is, is the fact that she has this incredible inbuilt fighting style, and it comes up against other people's fighting styles. And unless they can get that to look really good, and they show one bit. They show her doing a whippy-wappy move uh, against a, a character from the books. Um, and yeah, but the the shots of combat they had in there, I didn't think it looked good because the motion no. blur looked like, like stock. Like oh, this is like what what you'd get in like a CG intro for a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is honestly this is why I I don't think they've done it yet because if they'd done it, the the trailer would be full of it. Yeah. And it and it's not. So and I don't know why they wouldn't have done it when they've done the rest. So it could be that they're not doing that and that it doesn't have a lot of combat in because they wanted a PG rating or something. Because the other main thing about Battle Angel Alita is brains getting splatted on walls. I'm not sure we're getting that. Yeah. And this is one of the greatest strikes against this is it's being directed and written by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, he made uh, like the Spy Kids films, oh, and Planet Terror and Machete, and um, yeah, he his films like especially like Planet Terror and Machete. They were supposed to be like homages to like trash films of old, and that's like right up my wheelhouse. But <laughs> those films were incredibly boring. Uh, it felt like I wasn't on the same wavelength at all of like his understanding of that kind of films. It felt like the way he structured the story and the way he did like the smaller details of like instead of physical squibs, which is like part of the appeal of watching like a B action movie, like people just getting blown up with the squibs. Instead, he used horrible looking CG blood. So it's like it had no appeal on story or acting or like line delivery and not on action either. <laughs> uh, so I think yeah. like a bit like Tim Burton, like he made uh, one or two movies in the early 90s that were all right. And everything since has been disappointing and crap. And I was making uh, this. <laughs> oh, well, eh? Yeah, so... He made, like, From Dusk Till Dawn, and he made the Spy Kids films. And here it's like, which Robert Rodriguez is going to make this? Is it going to be the yeah, one... Yeah, if it's the, the Dusk Till Dawn Robert Rodriguez, that's fine. Yeah. That's the, that's, the, that's the director... That's one of the directors that would be perfectly fine for a Battle Angel film. Yes, but I don't think he's that person anymore, because uh, yeah. him trying to make movies like that, they've been crap. And then he's made a bunch of children's films, and the color scheme of this... 
just yeah. feels like a family film. It's, it's yeah, yeah. The, the lighting, I feel, commu- deliberate, deliberately communicates that uh, you can take your family to this, like the Marvel films. So we make it look like the Marvel films, and she has an inflated head, like a Pixar character. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what? Now I'm starting to see it. If that's mm. what it is, then yeah, it's not going to be good. I'm operating yeah. on the we don't have enough information uh, stage yet. All we know so far is that... Uh, oh, by the way, I ought to establish the um, the reason I'm interested in this is that this is my manga. Uh, Battle Angel Alita is the one and only manga I've ever obsessed over. Um, just, it happened to... You know, it, we've all got one. It, I read it. I, start, I first read it when I was 15, uh, the the first book that I read of it, which I think was the second one, was when I was 15. I read the rest of them when I was 18, basically. And uh, God, that was a bit of a gap, wasn't it? Maybe I was 16. But anyway, um, and yeah, it was what I was reading while I was at university. Uh, when I was first going to a comic shop, I was buying this. So, And then Abby got obsessed with it as well. She actually bought these big versions of it in French um, because they were big. Um, and uh, yeah, so and she's way more into it than I am. So we're into this. This is our manga. Um, and we were fine with it. Now that you've introduced this new aspect, I see what you mean. Mm, um, yeah. So I'll have to wait and see. But in pure terms of like, have they just pure, in like, you know, Snyder Watchmen terms of them replicating bits of the comic, it's all perfect. Um, all of the, It was immediately clear who every character was. A lot of it was just like, oh, here's that image that I remember from the comics exactly unchanged in a film so that on that level that stuff was good i did not mind the eyes at all um because perhaps it's just because i happen to have been thinking to myself recently that the thing of maybe it's because i've been watching tng and you've got you know commander data who's like not even got anything about him that makes him seem to be a robot at all um the idea of like robots that completely pass the uncanny valley test and just look exactly like actors um, is a bit weird unless it's in Blade Runner where that's the whole point. So I quite like that they've they've made a, a robot woman that someone might build. It's slightly uncanny valley. It's slightly idealized. It's slightly anime. I, I frankly I think that's what someone might build. The only trouble is. She seems to be the only one. I want to see yeah. other characters also be processed in that way, and perhaps they will be by the time it's done. I don't know. Yeah, we can only hope that she will fit into like a, a world of robots, like she did in the comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I read the manga like in early two thousands. Uh, here in Stockholm, there's a, a library for comic books, and uh, oh, cool. Yeah, my brother pretty much borrowed all of it there so yeah uh, that's that's how i read it and i think i can't remember if like the first uh, volume of the last order came out after i read everything or if it was already out at the same time so it's, oh it's, last order last order doesn't count yeah i i think it was like 2003 ish I, I remember reading the first uh, volume of last order after reading all of the original several times and i felt like What's the point of this? <laughs> there, there isn't one. Did you read the rest of that? No. So apparently, I haven't either. I read like two or three books dutifully when it was when it was first coming out, but uh, Abby has. And um, basically, the whole thing is a tournament. The whole thing is 
You will never beat my big punch. Oh, yes, I will if I use determination. Oh, you did. Time for the next enemy. You know, it's it's like a, a tournament manga now. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, and it's, then, uh, it's ended. So there's like, what, 19 volumes of tournament fighting? <laughs> Jesus Christ. There was only six of the original. Yeah. Well, or, or nine or something. It wasn't very many. But it was packed with all sorts of interesting stuff, and it wasn't just fighting. Sometimes it was, and when it was, it stood out because it was interesting. Sometimes it was a philosophical thing. Oh, well, yeah, it was a story that went somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> the the new version, though, has sexy clones of Alita. Yeah. Who cares? Get lost. Well, yeah. but what Abby was telling me is that, um, funnily enough, um, it actually ends the exact same way. Or not the exact same way, but you know how the original manga ended? But there was something a bit rushed to that ending, and the uh, the fan sort of law was that he was rushed into it, and so then he started the series again just before the ending, and that's what Last Order is. Well, um, the new the, when it comes to the ending, basically he he comes up with apparently quite reasonable ways for all of the characters to end up in the same place again, and for the similar ending to happen again. Um, so it's just a waste of time. Just don't bother. Don't they bring it? Apparently, they bring Edo back. That's that. So that's good. But you know. <laughs> yep. <sighs> so anyway, I uh, no, I am. I am looking forward to this film because I think you you tweeted to me like, oh, I hoped it would never be made. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking forward to it when it was James Cameron directing it because that's yeah. like. Okay, we're gonna get some an unbelievably lavish production of this, but you know he's busy doing other stuff, so he handed it over to Rob Rodriguez, a director whose uh, films I, I don't like ninety five percent of them, and it, yeah. it looks kind of yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, the uh, I've been hoping that they would make it. I remember, I mean, I remember when this thing was announced, and it was the 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 key thing about it was that it was going to be a three D film. And everyone was like, don't be ridiculous. It, it's the present. You can't do 3D films. And he went, I can. And I guess he started... I guess development on that didn't... Must have branched off and ended up being Avatar. Yeah. Um, which was the... That was the 3D film that made everyone think, oh, you can do 3D films. But like, some of us were already sort of into it because it did revive around that time. So that's how long this has been going on. This has been in almost active production since before the revival of 3D cinema and and now it's finally coming out just as 3D cinema feels like it's slowly dying yep <laughs> and uh, apparently what uh, James Cameron did between like Titanic and uh, Avatar because I uh, listened to a visual effects podcast and one yeah. of the people on it uh, worked with uh, Cameron on it uh, on Avatar and he said that it, it was clear James Cameron had spent a lot of time just learning how CG works because he was knowledgeable with pro terminology in the CG programs and with like keyboard macros. So it actually oh that that must have been a breath of fresh air for the visual effects teams. Yeah, because they he they were able to like speak the same language and very quickly like understand each other what how things should be changed visually and such. 
And it felt like, oh, well, oh, that explains a lot because I still haven't seen Avatar, and I and I frankly don't see the point because, as I understand it, the point is to see it on a big screen in 3D, which I've missed. But everyone who did see it and had positive things to say about it, they they were talking about how the 3D was like it worked in a way that in other films it doesn't work. And I bet what they're talking about is that the shots were designed for 3D in a genuinely intelligent way, rather than like being a good film like the the sort of shot you learn to make in film school i.e the sort you can make in 1975 and then someone converts it successfully to 3d i'm guessing that avatar was nuts and bolts shot for shot a different form of filmmaking for that reason yeah and in general the the quality of the cg in the film just felt like a leap forward it was uh, felt like ahead of its time especially with like yeah. performance capture because all of it was like actors uh, having like the full body captured with you know, the, the webcam filming their face with like dots on it like it was the first film to do all that uh, a lot of technology yeah. was kind of invented for the movie and uh, then it's kind of become that has percolated out into every other kind of industry and uh, everyone's doing the same stuff now but that was like uh, uh, it it invented the future of uh, f- film and actor capturing and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, I watched, and then and now we have Battle Angel. Do you know? I've got to I've got to confess. I, I'm told that uh, Alita is full performance capture, and I I, I confess I didn't notice that. Um, I no, assumed it, that in the scenes where she's at least just standing or sitting and talking to people, that that was an actor with just their eyes affected but apparently it's all cg oh did, did they find an actor who moves like bad keyframe animation <laughs> well this is it i guess i really was just looking at the eyes yeah <laughs> so i guess they do stand out too much yeah. anyway i watched a movie and this might be an unusual uh, choice for a movie to watch in 2017 michael jackson's this is it that is an odd choice but someone's gonna do it yeah I mean, for some reason, ever since he died and it, it, it came out, I, I never for like a second even considered watching it. And then I heard someone mention the movie, like passing by, and then I felt like, oh yeah, I really want to watch that. I'm really interested. And I'm, uh, I feel like the movie confirms why Michael Jackson was like the biggest pop artist ever. It, it felt like he, watching him rehearse and going through the motions of like pr- producing the uh, concert it just confirmed that you know this wasn't accidental he actually knew what he was doing all throughout the uh, rehearsals because this is a uh, for those who haven't seen it it's it was uh, like compensation for the people who never got to see the tour this is it because he died just before it was supposed to start that's uh, right. He, yeah, it was all it was all booked out, and it was an unreasonable number of. I remember. I remember before the tour started, people were saying he can't, he will not survive this tour. It's too much. Yeah, and then he didn't per- even get to the tour. Sorry. Yeah, it was fifty performances, and they were all sold out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, of course they were. Yeah, and they recorded the rehearsals of every track. So what you get to see here is the entire concert in rehearsals with multiple camera angles and different kind of qualities of cameras. And between the tracks, you get to see 
uh, a lot of the behind the scenes conversations and many of the creative decisions that went into like the specifics of how are these songs going to be uh, composed how is the dance choreography how how we're gonna just choreograph the stage and like every little aspect of um, how to do a concert is shown and it's kind of impressive how Michael Jackson seems to be very sharp, very knowledgeable about everything going on, and seems yeah. to have extraordinary creative control, and also seems to have very good judgment. Uh, he isn't; he has like complete control, but it doesn't come across as a tyrann- as a tyrannical asshole. When he talks about why he wants things to be a certain way, he communicates it in a good way, so anyone can understand it. He's not like uh, George Lucas, where <laughs> he seems to be like a person in complete creative control, and he seems like a, a a mad person doing stuff arbitrarily and with very poor judgment. Said Michael Jackson yeah. seems to have a very good sense for what the audience would want, where the audience would be mentally at that stage of that song. Like in in multiple cases, he like. Add more, add a longer pause there because at this point of this song, <laughs> you need a longer pause there. You need to linger on this for longer, and um, it's a. Uh, he just seemed to be really on top of it, and the way he dances as well, he, he he's in superb shape there. Yeah, and the the way the kinds of moves he does during the songs kind of the spacing of it the timing of them when to do them again that shows a very good sense of judgment of like where should he do this how often like not overdoing it but still making it very distinct and interesting to look at so you get kind of the hypnotic yeah. effect yeah and this is a guy who um of course he was you know d- no matter how good shape he was in he was getting too old to be a dancer and to so what he had necessarily to do was to like you know limit the number of he had an he had an even greater limitation on the number of moves that he could do than you know because you know there's only so much a human body can do even when it's perfectly trained so that variety that he could have you know used in his 20s 30s is reduced and yeah so it does take more I guess sort of artistry to decide when to do what. Yeah, and it it just comes across as he he manages to mask his age very well. Yeah, he, he just moves like someone who's extremely sharp and skilled at what he does. It like I had no complaints about any of his song performances there. He it just seemed like he he held himself. And everyone there to a really high standard, and was able to deliver on it. Uh, now it's it's been quite it's been quite a long time since I saw this. Um, I saw it a few years after it was out, but mm. you know that's a long time ago now. Um, and I don't remember it very clearly, but I do remember I remember a couple of negative things that I had to say about it, and I'll, I'll say that in a minute. But I remember that um, I remember feeling really sorry for the for the dancers who were like young dancers who this was the the, the single best thing in their whole world. Yes. And for them, for them, frankly, I feel like they should have been allowed to do the tour without him because <laughs> no, of course nobody would have gone, but it, you know what I mean? They, they didn't deserve to just have to not do it. They were in, so, they were so excited. 
Yeah, and I feel like those interviews with the dancers uh, really kind of underscored how important this was for everyone involved. <laughs> because they were like yeah. weeping just at the prospect yeah. of being able to do this tour. They were so happy to be there. And uh, <laughs> just before it was supposed to start, it's like, oops, it's dead. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, um, God. It, obviously, it, the most important thing is that like someone died, and that there's there's a lot to sort of deal with at the time. But imagine being the company who just sold millions of dollars worth of tickets to millions of people for this thing that now isn't going to happen. Yeah, like it's no wonder they brought out this film. Like they had to do something. Yeah, I mean, I assume uh, they. I assume they had to refund all the money and then just that went broke. I like I don't know what happened. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, this I feel like watching this kind of underscore like the magnitude of just the disaster involved of, of him dying before this tour because everyone was just looking forward to it so much and everyone had felt like oh this is just money in the back this is a surefire hit he's is super as good of a shape as anyone could possibly be at his age <laughs> everyone yeah. involved is like just nailing it and yeah, yeah everything yeah. sold out like it, it, it felt like the quality of the performances here felt like oh yeah the fans are gonna be happy about this like there's no way they couldn't be happy about this tour and oops <laughs> now I might as well say my my negative thing, which mm. it feels it feels a bit petty, but um, as it happens, the the last thing that uh, that Michael Jackson did the year of his the year his allegations first broke was the Dangerous tour on the back of his Dangerous mm. album, which had come out a couple of years before, and it just so happened that the release of that album was when I and my friends got into him. Um, the, so like black or white comes out and the video for that on TV is, is kind of the moment where we all go, what is this? Here is, I, I wrote, I've written about it in my, actually I've written about it in my ongoing script for my Sonic history thing that I'm working on because, <laughs> um, quite apart from the fact that he's sort of tangled up in, in Sonic history, um, he's also tangled up in like Sega history. You know, he had his Mega Drive game, which was one of the biggest games like immediately before Sonic. Um, or perhaps at the same time, like it was around then. Anyway, um, for the Mega Drive, I mean. Um, and the uh, I've basically I've figured out that the reason why me and my friends were into him so much was because we were just the right age to have older brothers and sisters who were into pop music, um, and specifically pop singers because they fancied them, and we were too young to understand that, but we wanted to emulate them. So we were like, oh, we're supposed to get into this. And suddenly, here's a pop singer who's also a cartoon character, which is what we were still into. You know, we were tr we were into cartoons and trying to understand why, between episodes of Turtles, we're expected to listen to an interview with Kylie Minogue. Like, who cares? Get Turtles back on, please. Put the raccoons on. Um, here's Michael Jackson, who, like, he can throw his hat and kill enemies with it, and it'll come back to him. He can throw a coin across an entire bar, and it'll go in the jukebox. There's all this like magic stuff he can do. The ground lights up under his feet. Um, he can turn into a zombie or a robot. Like there's all sorts of stuff he can do. Yeah. So um, all uh, of this is in the classic Mega Drive game. <laughs> yeah. So um, so 
when the Dangerous Tour came on, that was the moment, still, like in my whole life, that was the moment where I was like, it was my concert. That was the one concert that I've ever cared about of this sort. And it was broadcast on the BBC, both radio and TV. I, I videoed it and I listened to it live on the radio and, and recorded as much of it as I could. I had to go to bed halfway through and it was mum's job to change the tapes and she fell asleep and she didn't. Uh, luckily, I've it, last year or the year before managed to find like a download of the full broadcast that I thought was gone forever. Um, but anyway, here's why I'm saying all this. I have lots and lots of important memories wrapped up in the Dangerous Tour. And when I watched This Is It, it was the same. And that was a disappointment um, because I remember um, there's a, the, the, the Dangerous Tour opened with uh, Jam, which is the first track on Dangerous. Other than that, it's the, the order is jumbled, but it starts with the first track on Dangerous. And, um, uh, and it plays roughly the way it does on the album with a couple of little differences. But then there's this moment in the middle, which, which isn't on the recorded track, where it stops. And these five dancers kind of shoot out over the equipment at the back and land in this militaristic stand. And they do all these complicated moves that involve kind of pretending to whip the air and like taking off their sunglasses and folding them up, putting them in a pocket. They're dancing in time with Michael Jackson. We all learned this dance, uh, age 11 or whatever we were. We were, we were 11. And uh, we tried as best we could to like get it all entirely down. And we failed because we, you know, we, we, di we didn't even have VHS players that could go frame by frame. So we were having to just watch it and try and copy it. And so that has always felt kind of special. And I, so it was a disappointment to me to see them doing exactly the same thing um, in This Is It. And so basically This Is It, when I saw it, I agree with all of the stuff you've said, but also there was this tinge of sadness apart from the fact that it was, you know, he was dead, which because that in itself has always been a complicated issue because we don't know the extent to which he is or isn't an abuser. And we genuinely don't. I know we've all basically agreed that he was, but I, I like I read extensively around it um, earlier this year because I was just like, hey, yeah, I'm an adult now. Let me read into that and see what actually happened. And it's actually still really vague whether or not he did it like it really is. And I genuinely, after reading into it, I'm slightly less convinced than I was before that he was guilty. I'm not going to yeah. say he wasn't, but it's it's a very complicated issue. Um, and it gives me just enough wiggle room to still like all of his albums. Yeah. <laughs> Except the bad ones that he did later. But um, so anyway, yeah, let's assume he's guilty. Let's assume he's a terrible abuser. Um should so we that complication? Let, let's, let, let's assume ambiguity because he was uh, found not guilty. <laughs> that's that's true, and that's something I always forget. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have to assume ambiguity. But anyway, even if we were assuming that it was terrible, nevertheless, this is one of the I'd say two people, three people who've been accused of or have found been found guilty of a terrible, terrible thing, and I. And I have to separate art from artist because I'm never going to not like it. Um, I just can't, no matter what I do. Um, the other two being uh, Rolf's Cartoon Club and The Thick of It um, mm. and, and other things that the guy, Chris, whatever his name is, uh, was in. And, and, um, and uh, Jim will fix it, of course. <laughs> no, I'm comfortable not liking the work of Mr. Savile. Oh. Um, 
But uh, anyway, yeah, so so that complicated issue being set aside for a moment, um, there was this other tinge of like the, the sadness of the big thing that he was going to go out on this big. Well, he wasn't, you know, going to go out on it, but maybe he thought he was. I, we don't know. Was kind of a retread um, in the sense that not only are, you know, obviously he's going to repeat songs, but he's repeating the dance sequences. And of course, he's not as good at them. So all of that control that he had, which he did still have, um, is a control of a necessarily reduced amount of movement. So to see the same things that I know pretty much inside out being repeated with a bit less energy seemed a bit like, were you really ever expecting to take this on the road? It it, it was definitely approached as though he was, but it lends... In in a life defined by ambiguity, let's say, it it lends even more ambiguity to whether or not this project was ever really expected to take off because they must, someone must have known the state he was in. I mean, he died of a, allegedly, it seems, of a drug overdose and not the first one. You know, everyone knew, it wasn't, it wasn't that he out of nowhere took a massive amount of drugs. No, he always took that amount of drugs it seems from what i'm from what i remember yeah and uh his uh it was an irresponsible thing and his uh, his personal physician uh, was found uh, guilty of involuntary homicide (laughs) yeah yeah and that that guy it's exactly the same situation as with elvis presley here um yeah that guy what an extremely evil person that is um but he must have known, as people must have known, that this show was never going to be physically possible. Well, we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, he, he was it. He seemed to be like as jacked up and ready as he could be, but he was also like fifty. <laughs> and I was yeah, impressed you, by. Uh, I mean, I, I was impressed by how well he was able to move. Like in spite of his uh, age and stuff, like he didn't look yeah. like a other fifty-year-old performers. Like in general, like I wish he'd had like a podcast or something. Oh because God, he seemed. Oh, that would have been so interesting. Yeah, because he came across like an alien being that was like beamed down from above, that was wandering around everyone else there. It, it, the, the documentary didn't exactly humanize him. <laughs> It gave no understanding to him as a person, just him as like the quality of his uh, artistry and his the, the levels, the standard he kept himself to when it came to just performing. Um, it it wasn't like seeing him as a human being. <laughs> that was honestly that was a big part of the the formula. Yeah, that was why we were so easy to get into this character because he was a character. Yeah. They, he, there was like maybe twice in his whole life that he did a well not whole life like when he was a, a kid or a teenager I'm sure he did more but like in his adult life there was like two times ever when he did a fairly candid interview and they were still extremely edited and extremely like stage managed and fake and and they stood out you know there, there was one uh, with Oprah and I remember that being this the interview event of the century because someone's going to interview Michael Jackson. Like, it just didn't happen. Yeah. So he was able to just... Essentially, it was 
part of the marketing of this cartoon character. He was a cartoon character, and so and it, it it's really weird that a human being kept that up, especially now when what we think of as a celebrity has completely changed, yeah. and we expect candidness in order to in exchange for our respect, essentially. Um, yeah, and just the way he held himself, like it was so. Whenever he was like on stage with like another singer or another yeah. uh, performer, it's like okay, there's a distinctive. That's a human being. <laughs> there's Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked like the same species of person. <laughs> and well, part of that was that part of that was the the increased sort of desire to hide his face. Yeah, you know, it, and it, not just because he'd had the surgery and it had gone wrong, which by that time it had. Um, people had been joking that his face was falling apart for decades, but I think it actually was by this time. Um, but no, someone, when he was quite young, when he didn't need to hide his face, figured out that pulling the brim of his hat down over his face looked really good. And so after that, he hid his face a lot. And it was just sort of, it got weirder and weirder and more and more hidden until, like when I picture Michael Jackson towards the end of his life, I don't imagine a face at all. Yep. It's an outline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, it's very, very strange situation. Yeah. So uh, Michael Jackson, this is it. It's it's on YouTube in high quality. So if anyone is wants it? to watch it, just uh, just do what I did. Search for it, and it's all there in one 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 big file. Yeah. So I watched. I think uh, one one final thing I want to talk about: Noah Gervais' boss video. Ah, this is he's made once before, but this is the big one. The I thought you'd watched this a few weeks ago because I seem to remember you. I thought you recommended it, and I started watching it, and then I didn't get through it. Yeah, but this is the the one that came out of like last week or something. Oh, the one that's two hours and twenty minutes long. Oh, yeah, and this one is much better than the other bus video. <laughs> Basically, he this is the end of his trip because he's now home. And uh, oh, I thought he was. I thought this was it. I thought he was from now on living on a bus. No, he he explains why the bus tour is over. And, okay. Uh, he he was traveling with a friend who was in a different bus, but they have a pretty dramatic falling out, oh. and uh, like uh, went their separate ways. And that that's one the pretty dramatic part of this bus video. <laughs> Wow. And uh, Noah Gervais and his wife kind of made a deal that whenever this stops being fun, they should drive home. And kind of after that, uh, the wife said, no, this, this is over. So uh, they, they uh, went home after that. But where, what is home? Like, I thought I thought he didn't have a home because he had a bus. Yeah, yeah he's parking outside his uh, dad's garage. Right, okay. <laughs> Going back to their old jobs. Right. Yeah. So they were driving in the U.S. for like eight months, and they barely made a dent in the country. And this is the, what it talks about. I feel like this is uh, easily like the, the most interesting and important things he learned about this trip he talks about here. Because he talks about many of the places he visits and the history of them and reflects on like current life uh, for like humans, how we understand life and society and nature... And how his perspective changed seeing what's actually out there. Because we live in like 
little clusters of people and we travel in planes between them. We don't see what's actually between places, especially in like the US. And like we can't comprehend how vast the US actually is. Because <laughs> yeah. it's all his vi- all the visuals are like GoPro dash cam video of him traveling and it's just so much of the country there that we haven't seen before. And all the history of the places he talks about is very interesting. Like this one state where it's like a rural place where like it seems like everyone in like the eighteen hundreds there just went crazy from the isolation. They like they were living there in farms and like people like murdering each other, going like wow. nuts, <laughs> losing their minds. It's like wow. <laughs> And I feel like I learned a lot about the U.S. and just human existence in general. And uh, he avoids talking about places in a way a typical tourist would. And uh, it's uh, it's very, very well done. And uh, also his uh, falling out with his friend, uh, how that happened. Because it was really like, oh, this is like borderline irreconcilable differences came up and there's no way they could be together anymore wow yeah it's I'm it's, struggling to like i'm struggling to think what that could possibly be in a situation where you are similar enough to begin with that you can both decide to go on a bus quest yeah but it was like a, a fundamental like philosophical difference on how you should live life wow <laughs> yeah and later in the video he also comes face to face with this trip was like his life dream and he he went on the trip and he came home after eight months and he quickly got their old jobs back and it's like nothing happened nobody cared that he went on this trip so it was like oh i achieved my my life dream and it was like yes so now what Oh, I don't think I can watch this. This sounds really depressing to me. <laughs> yeah, so he had like a personal crisis there, but he also kind of c- comes to terms with that. So I feel there's uh, a lot of important stuff happened to him during this trip. <laughs> so sounds he, like. Yeah, so you learn a lot about the uh, US, uh, human existence in general, and his life. And uh, yeah, it's an ex- excellent video. It's like two hours, 20 minutes. Uh, I found it enthralling and didn't feel its length so uh, as far as bus videos goes this is this is the one to watch <laughs> okay so does this mean then that the that the crumbling of a man's life's dream uh, at least means we're going to get some witcher videos out of him yeah <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I even made that joke That was horrible Yeah but well, now we can look forward to that Because what else he's going to do He achieved his life dream He has nothing else to do Oh no yeah. <laughs> uh, What a depressing week Yeah But uh, this is an, uh, it felt like an important thing To just see someone go through Because it felt like Well if you actually pursue your dreams You can achieve them probably faster Than you can conceive and then you're gonna face this like so now what moment? Yeah, it's uh, worth seeing someone go through it and uh, kind of how how he comes out of it, kind of in the other end. So yeah, okay. Well, I hope he's all right. Yeah, it seems like it seems like he's uh, he's getting better. <laughs> uh-huh. So, <sighs> what did you do this week apart from uh, record a Christmas song? 
Um, well, I didn't even do that. Um, that's an ongoing thing. Mm. Um, I'm, uh, I'm currently, I won't say exactly what, because I don't know how much of this I'm allowed to talk about, but um, I'm <clears throat> working on um, uh, some sort of podcast thing for somebody um, where I'm playing a kind of uh, wizened old narrator of a fantasy thing. So that'll be nice. Um, trouble is, doing the voice kills my voice. So yeah. I have to... <laughs> It turns out I need like a two days rest after every like hour of recording. The deadline is December. It's a lot, and I have to record a, a pretty song as well. So I'm not quite sure how I'm going to cram it all in, but we'll see. Um, um, what else? I've been. Oh, I've been, mostly I've been just looking after Abby because she's been really ill. She's had a oh, big yeah. cold, so I've got that to look forward to as well. Although I don't think I've caught it. And yeah, it's just been business as usual. I've been reposting this. I've been reposting the second year of the old Advent Calendar Snatter stories. That's been a lot of fun. So, I think it's time to go. Yes. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>